Omega Man Radio has been commissioned to invade deep into enemy territory, drive out the hosts of hell, and take back the land. Our mission is to preach Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is the only name written under heaven by which men might be saved. Cast out demons and pray for the sick that they may be healed in Jesus' name. If this program is a blessing to you and you would like to take part in this harvest of men's souls, join with us and attack the hosts of hell by donating any amount online at www.omegamanradio.com. Are you ready? Ready to take a ride? Grab your coffee and strap yourself in. If you listen, I can hear God's plan. Because the show is about to begin. You're listening. You're listening to the Omega Man Radio Network. Enjoying uh, the long Labor Day weekend, and what better way to spend that than with the Omega Man and our special guest? And we're going to have on Barry Chamish, a prolific author, good friend of Omega Man Radio. Uh, I hope you tuned into the program we had with him the other night. Fantastic program, and uh, Barry is back tonight. He's going to be talking about one of his books called Return of the Giants. You're not going to want to miss this. It is not too late to call a friend. Have them tune in. Hope you have your coffee ready. Without further ado, let me go to the telephone line. Barry Chamish, are you on with us tonight? I am. Brother, thank you so much for coming back. It's always an honor to have you on. Uh, my pleasure. I don't understand one thing, though. I'm sort of new in America, you know, five years or so. You have a holiday for furniture salesmen to <laughs> I'm trying to work out what this holiday is. I believe it's laborers in the furniture industry offer their wares cheaper. <laughs> oh, well, Barry, you know, actually, uh, I'm surprised we even have it. There's not any jobs left here. They've all been sent to China, so where are the laborers now? We don't have too many left. Well, you're saying that there was a holiday celebrating laborers? You know, I, I still scratch my head in wonder, and uh, when I see a holiday coming, man, I just say, come on. That means the banks aren't going to be open. That means, uh, my goodness, I can't get any work done. So uh, it meant something when I worked uh, 9 to 5 for the man, but, uh, you know, now when you are when you work for yourself, uh, you know, it's just a pain in the butt. But uh, This holiday is for employees. Apparently so. Uh, but I really don't know. What about this one? This one doesn't make any sense. Uh, <laughs> I 
I've had trouble with other ones. Martin Luther King Day doesn't make sense either. Uh, but they gave him a holiday, and I guess they gave the laborers a holiday. Uh, they just hand out uh, long weekends to obscure things in this country. Well, you probably wouldn't like Costa Rica at all. When I lived down there for two years, uh, they had like a holiday every week, and they had a holiday just for the horses. I mean, would you believe it? Everybody gets out on the side of the road, and they just uh, they get a beer and a, uh, and a lawn chair, and they get on the side of the road, and they watch these horses parading through town. I never could figure it out. <laughs> but, uh, All right. That would be Horse Day. Horse Day, that's right. But uh, at any rate, uh, Barry, let's start out with uh, you giving out your uh, website and uh, how people can get a hold of your books that we're going to be talking about tonight. Well, um, I think it's a little early to do that. Um, first of all, my website, the book we're speaking about, uh, Return of the Giants, is not on the website. Oh, maybe a little bit, but it's, it's, they, there used to be a website promoting the book, and I've uh, decided it's not worth keeping up uh, because it's used uh, against me by, by people. <laughs> you know, he's writing about UFOs, so my politics must be all wrong. Now, in fact, I'm not a UFO writer. Um, I'm a, when I was living in Israel, I was a niche writer. I would look for any niche that no one else was, uh, had filled, and I'd try to make a living uh, writing all kinds of stuff. And as it happened, uh, I had a, an interest in UFOs from my days in the Army. I had a very interesting, uh, well, I used to be a missile shooter, and, and we had the equipment. Well, what's the equipment? Really good binoculars it comes down to. Uh, but, you know, radar, if you really, really expect uh, an attack, you've got radar. You've got all kinds of things. And in the summer of 1980, uh, the skies were, were filled with, um, I would say, satellites flying in formation. Uh, but this, we were watching them night after night. And... Uh, my fellow soldiers uh, were divided into two camps. Uh, the first camp uh, was my camp, that uh, this is uh, just genuine UFOs. I mean, these things would fly in formations of three, uh, seven, uh, but the point is they, they could turn 90 degrees uh, on the spot. Look, there's just some things that can't be done. At least as far in our world, it can't be done. And flying and turning like it's a corner, you just turn left, uh, is not something we can do. Which the other, the other group, uh, the majority was saying we, we've got secret weapons and we're watching secret weapons being flown. And uh, again, we don't have a weapon that can turn on it, well, 90 degrees. Uh, on the spot, these things wow. were fly. They were doing things that can't be done in our uh, in our science. You don't have anything that can do that. You've got you've got to take a bit of a corner there. Uh, you know, you just can't. Uh, you have to actually fly the uh, ninety degrees. You don't just turn it on the spot. So. Well, to make a long story short, this was the beginning of 
my interest in Israel anyways. Uh, well, what it comes down to is we had a real fight in our unit, and it was actually getting divisive. Um, so a few of us went to our officers and said, just bring someone in here and tell us what we're seeing and get this over with. Uh, well, one morning we were awoken and told to put on uh, civilian uniforms. There's two kinds of clothes, one for inside the base and one for outside the base. We were supposed to put the outside the base clothes on and stand in, in threes um, at attention and... Surprise, surprise, we didn't know what it was about, but we did it. We got dressed in civilian uniforms, and we lined up in threes, and they told us uh, uh, to stand at attention, and then they introduced a guy, uh, a colonel, I would guess. He had uh, these maple leaves on his shoulder, epaulets. No, they were actual steel maple leaves. Uh, he was a colonel, something high up. They told us to stand at ease, and they introduced him. He's from the meteorological department. Uh, why, I don't know, but that's who, what they said he was from. And uh, they let him talk, and he said, uh, we understand that you soldiers have been seeing unusual items in the sky. He says, if you tell anyone this, you'll be spreading panic and you'll be put on trial. And that was the end of his speech. Oh my goodness! Well, yeah, I mean, he was—he uh, was serious, wasn't he? Well, as serious as you can be, you can't stop people from talking. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, if it got out, yeah, you go to trial. It was a threat to keep our mouths shut, but not a—you know—it wasn't a death threat. It was just most people don't want to go to trial, and but people still talked. I mean, you can't stop everything. Uh, nonetheless, the point is the Air Force uh, really didn't want this getting around. And frankly, I don't think they knew what it was either. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'll bet you anything they didn't know what it was. It was a worldwide uh, wave of these uh, low-flying satellite-like uh, like flotillas. They were seen worldwide. But, well, I mean, I would... Now, Barry, I, uh, to give us some sort of sense of time... Uh, what year was this, more or less? When are we talking about? Was this the summer of 1980? Okay, summer of 1980. Okay. Now let me ask you a question. Um, I know that uh, Israel is surrounded by enemies, and it has to be on guard. I mean, I think I, someone told me that there's always a fighter pilot sitting in the cockpit, ready to scramble uh, if they encounter a threat on the radar. I told you this. If first of all, that's not exactly true. But nonetheless, this story is, again, uh, from my book, and I've related it. Uh, I was in the Air Force, and they used to bring pilots to lecture to us. Okay. Well, you know, we shot missiles. They would tell us uh, the most vulnerable uh, spot to shoot a missile, like we had a choice. I mean, these were heat-seeking missiles. Nonetheless, they would come and tell us about the vulnerabilities of the enemy aircraft and how you can make sure you don't aim at one of ours and this kind of baloney. This would happen, oh, once every six months we'd have a pilot in. So after these UFOs hit, um, I, I said to heck with it, I'm going to interview pilots. Now you have to understand the difference between a civilian journalist interviewing a pilot and a fellow soldier. 
uh, he was at ease. I was in his Air Force, and I wasn't acting as a journalist. I was very, very curious already. Um, so I, I remember two pilots. I can recall two of them. That's a lecture in, and I would stay behind until I could meet the pilot in person. And I just sat there. Have you ever uh, chased a UFO? And one chased one over Haifa, and one chased one over Jerusalem. And they both told me the same story, that, in fact, it's not all that uncommon. The one over Haifa said he almost caught up with it. Then it took off in a flash. The one in Jerusalem uh, uh, said basically the same story. It went into Jordanian airspace, and I couldn't fly. The point is that they they were scrambled and told to uh, chase lights that shouldn't have been over Israel, and it's not uncommon, and this I can testify to. Not a very big selection of pilots, but uh, the two I spoke with, and I, well, I won't dive into it. I also spoke with an officer who was more denied things. You know, I love the juicy, nitty-gritty details, so please. <laughs> well, the pilots uh, both were scrambled, and uh, they said it's not uncommon. And that's all. It's not a, a big deal story. Uh, but the Air Force really is not releasing any information whatsoever, by the way. I mean, nothing. Well, where I was going with it was, uh, I understand you have to be on alert, so I would imagine uh, some fighter pilots were scrambled, and they're starting to see this all the time. They probably got pretty annoyed with it. They haven't seen it in, in at least 12 years. Wow. Uh, the, the UFO wave uh, ended pretty well completely in the year 1999. Uh, but there, uh, again, what we don't know and uh, about... Uh, pilots I got a glimpse of. And that's all, and this thing has been repeated. Uh, but the Israeli Air Force is not ready to scramble jets against UFOs day and night. But well, you know, uh, uh, it, we got kind of a similar story here um, in the United States in Roswell. And, you know, they, they scramble the Air Force down there. They, uh, that they was confiscate. That years ago. Yeah. 60 years ago. Much has changed since then. And anyways, that's a story uh, that most people know. Uh, what I'm about to uh, talk about, most people don't know. And uh, I'm going to go straight into it. I'm really not going to rehash Roswell's and stuff. Uh, what I'm talking about um, is was not marginal, and it was front-page, well, yeah, front-page news items in Israel um, beginning in 1987 and ending in 1999. Well, I want to make uh, one preface to it. Um, I don't think things are coincidence, Barry. You are a man who is a prolific author. Okay, you look for the facts. As in our other show, when I went to speculate, you said, let's stick to the facts. So if there was any man that could be chosen to cover this story, I think you would be the man. And so I think that uh, there was a divine hand in all this. But well, I um, to earn a living. I just had to find different ways to earn a living. Well, I'm glad you were, you were on the ground to see this happen, so now we can get the facts. Uh, yeah, so I, dive on in. I didn't uh, see the UFOs. I saw the witnesses, and I gathered the evidence. But I, I, I was there for every one of these witnesses. 
first of all, I was researching the book. Uh, that's, that's the first thing. Uh, but later on, uh, all kinds of TV networks started hiring me. Uh, my information was, uh, remarkably accurate. And, um, well, the big ones in the States, uh, were the sighting show that was on, I believe it was NBC, uh, in the 90s. I did five ep- five episodes for them. I was their advisor. Wow. Uh, uh, also, uh, Fox TV uh, gave me, um, well, a full half hour of primetime TV was devoted to my research. And, again, networks came from all over uh, the world. Uh, I, I'm just thinking Germany, Finland, France, Italy... I guess all over Europe anyways. In, in short, let's, let's start doing this. I may have troubles with my throat today. Um, I'm just getting over a little bit of a flu, but let's see what we can do. My friend, at any time you want to take a break, uh, take a uh, cup of tea or water, you just uh, shout and we'll go to a, to a break and I'll fill in. Um, it may happen, but let's get started first. Um, look, the big, First UFO, and again, I, I repeat, this was front page headlines. <laughs> and it, uh, this was not, uh, marginal, uh, UFO conspiracy, uh, uh, writing. This, this was national news. It happened, I believe, September 23rd, 1987, I believe. It was the night before Yom Kippur. And I want you to keep in mind, as we go on, every single one of the UFO uh, events happens either on a, um, a Sabbath, Friday or Saturday, or on a Jewish holiday. And this is very, very hard to explain. That's one of the tough ones to explain. Uh, another tough one is why wasn't it happening in Syria or Jordan or Egypt? Why just Israel? How come we got all these events? And they didn't. And there, there are major questions that Israel was targeted uh, in mass uh, by every type of strange UFO uh, you can imagine over the next 13 years. Now, the first one ha- happened with Ami Akhrai. That was the name of the witness. Um, and needless to say, I met him. I met all the people I speak about. Uh, they're all in the book, all interviewed. Uh, Ami Akrai got famous because he was the first, and also his incident uh, was really, really quite outstanding. Uh, he's driving home. He lives just to the north of Haifa. Well, he sees what he describes as a banana-shaped craft uh, following him on the highway, and then it starts wobbling, and he pulls the car to the side. He thinks it's a helicopter in trouble. He wasn't, you know, you have a banana flying beside you. You're not, you know, you, you, you go back to your reality. And the best he could come up with was the helicopter was going to crash. So he parks his car and he looks and he gets out and this thing, whatever it is, and we have an idea what it is. I'll, I'll explain shortly. It's, He's on the coastal road, right beside the Mediterranean Sea, just south of Haifa, 
at a place called Sigmona Beach. This craft uh, wobbles from side to side, um, and then it just takes... Well, all right, here's the events. He's out of his car. He sees this red banana-shaped craft in the sky above Sigmona Beach. It wobbles from side to side, and then there's a tremendous flash of light. The light ends, and he sees the craft take off over the Mediterranean. That was his incident. So there's a lot of other minor detail we don't need to know. All we need to know is he goes to the police uh, and tells them what he saw, and he said, wait till after the holiday. That is after Yom Kippur, and he gave... Uh, the police gave him the number of Israel's only ufologist. Back then, that was Hadassah Arbel. Uh, she has now disappeared into the world of religion, and uh, for whatever reason, she was all we had back in 1987. Uh, and pretty well, that's all that's left, left today after the wave ended, and uh, the government really did crush the ufology movement with all its heart. Nonetheless, the, the holiday ends. She phones, he phones Sadasar Bell, and they go back to Shikmona Beach. I'll describe the beach uh, shortly. Let's first describe what they found. They go walking along the beach, and they find uh, how do we a photographic image. The sand somehow is black. Wow. Well, no, I mean, let's more Almost than Almost uh, crystallized in the glass? No, no, there's nothing crystal about. Now, let me finish. The inside was the ex really a diagram of the UFO. That's what uh, the shape was. It was uh, 15 meters long, uh, which, uh, and there are pictures, all kinds of pictures of it. The main thing... Well, that was pretty well remarkable in itself that the craft took a picture of itself and blasted it on the beach. Uh, but in the right-hand corner is... Now, this is not burnt sand now. This is vegetation that somehow avoided burning. Within this black disc, there is a, a picture in unburnt grasses. Clear as day, by the way, the being driving this craft, he's seated in front of a dashboard of some kind uh, with his hand on some kind um, of uh, gear, shift, gear shifter. Some, there it is. He's about three and a half feet tall. And we have not only the, the disc itself, in burnt sand, you have the driver also uh, in, in this pictograph that was burnt onto the sands of Shikmona Beach. Now, just so you know, this um, this was one of the uh, big items on sightings. And I went uh, to Haifa and we interviewed uh, lots of people involved in Shikmona Beach. It grew. But we interviewed Ami Akhrai and we got the sand and we got the bird sand, and it all went back to the uh, sightings physicist. Did they take uh, any uh, radiation samples to see if there was any kind of... Um, 
It was radiation. Okay. This wasn't atomic. This was definitely not an atomic blast. It was he. Well, anyways, there's, uh, oh my goodness, what's his name? Uh, Professor, all right, for now it's slipped. It'll come back in one second. The sightings tested the, uh, tested the sand, uh, as, and by the way, it was tested in Israel as well previously, but they confirmed, uh, that right in front of their cameras, in fact, when they put the camera light on the sand, the black part melted away. Wow. And what they concluded was a very low melting, uh, carbon. It melted at about 130 degrees Fahrenheit, covered the sand, and that's what the pictogram was made out of. All right. Amazing. That's the end of Shigmona 1. Now, oh, you had about 10,000 people a day at Shigmona Beach looking at this thing. Eight months later, um, at, well, there's an Israeli on Shigmona Beach, and he sees the, pretty well the exact same thing that Ami Akhari saw eight months before, a craft, it, uh, a snap, a, a bunch of light, and off it goes. All right. Um, okay, I'm getting a little buzz on the line. Are you still there? Oh, still with you. Yes, sir. You're coming through great. And if you're just tuning in, uh, we're listening to Barry Chamish. Uh, he's on live tonight on the Mega Man Radio. His website is barrychamish.com. Also, the books that we're talking about are up on lulu.com. No, it's Lulu, and I'll do that later. Um, we're talking about one book only, Return of the Giants. All right. Now, uh, eight months later, another uh, a disc in the sky, another witness, and another, well, it's about 100 yards from the uh, Akrai uh, disc. You have the same there are subtle differences, but it's the same shape, uh, 15-meter um, burnt-in-the-sand image of another UFO. Now, if this wasn't enough, um, let's see, about five months later, this all happened in 87, 88. I think it was September 87 and then June 88, and then at the end of the summer, it's all in my book. These are details I won't dwell on. In a period of about a year, three UFOs hit Shikmona Beach. Two of them left images of themselves burnt on the sand. And the third one was witnessed by two uh, teenage lovers, I assume. They were on the beach, and this craft didn't just take a picture, it blew up into what they said were thousands of pieces once again. The earth literally shook for them that night, didn't it? Yes, they had a good night. It's <laughs> a night Alon Elat was the guy. Uh, the, it doesn't matter. I know these details. And <laughs> no one's going to remember them. Uh, I'll, I'll stick with the main characters. Um, the point is, Shikmona Beach had erupted a new field of ufology in Haifa and by the third blast or the third explosion or whatever was going on the sea was filled with glowing rocks that when you pick them up they weren't hot 
and they just turn to dust in your hands. All kinds of scientists, the public. I mean, there were ice cream trucks there. That's how many people were going down uh, to Shikmona Beach to watch this stuff. In short, the rock material was magnesium. Uh, thousands of shards of magnesium uh, um, all pulled out of the sand, including the ocean. Uh, we gave some to sightings, and they actually, they actually confirmed what uh, Israeli scientists uh, had already uh, confirmed that it was magnesium. Something happened the third time. Nobody could say for, with certainty what it was. But the craft exploded uh, into shards. You know, this is the middle of the night. You saw the shards. They were sparkling. Well, now let's look at Shigmona Beach. And this is where it gets, uh, uh, this is where there's a little biblical side to it. A uh, hundred yards, a uh, hundred and fifty yards, right on top of the bluff overlooking Shikmona Beach um, is, oh my goodness, whose shrine is it? The biblical prophet. Ezekiel? Oh, no. You're talking about the flying, the flying chariots? No. Um, Daniel? No. That oh, uh, uh, wait a minute. The Enoch. Uh, I'll think of it. He's a major, major. Elijah? Uh, Elijah. Elijah, there we go. Elijah's tomb is on top of Shikmona Beach. It's a 2,400-year-old shrine. Wow, really? Now, that, now that's news here. Well, it's not news. I mean, what's news is what I'm getting to. Uh, there's shrines all over here. So, you see, uh, bro, you take it for granted, but when th those in the West that have never been to the Holy Land, we've only, now I have been uh, fortunate to go twice, but for people who have not been, you know, uh, when you read the stories and you actually go, this stuff comes alive. But I mean, I mean, Elisha, this was the guy who was caught up in the, uh, the whirlwind chariot. But, uh, that's, uh, how, that's how he died. Yes. Uh, while he was alive, Elijah challenged the Canaanites uh, to a duel of the gods. Uh, he said, oh, my god can roast um, a bull in one second. And the Canaanites challenged him, and they spent all night um, preparing their bull. They tethered a bull, and they did prayers, and nothing happened. The next night, Elijah shows up, and he pours water on his bull and and within one second there's a flash from the sky and the bull is, is supper. Now over this spot um, a shrine was, was uh, erected. Wow. Now uh, I don't know, there's no wild park yet except that it's a tourist attraction. Now what's going on below on Shikmona Beach there are strange, and I mean strange, uh, architectural uh, remains that you don't see everywhere. They're not typical architect, uh, archaeological remnants. These include circles. And, um, oh, again, I would say about 15 meters uh, in diameter. Uh, I went to the, there's a marine 
research station next to Shimona Beach. I went in there just to ask the scientists who were working there, what are these what are these circles in the Mediterranean? And they said that um, that the there had been earthquakes and the Mediterranean used to be farther away and these were ritual baths. And I I didn't buy that. You don't put a ritual bath I read a hundred yards from the ocean is still a waste of time. You put a ritual bath where you don't have uh, any other way to, to bathe, um, and you don't put them by the shore, even if there was an earthquake. That's too close to the ocean uh, to, to build a ritual bath. I didn't like the explanation, but that's the best they had. But more important, um, there, something very, very strange did happen. Uh, Michael Hesman, he's a German um, ufologist. I became good friends with him. Now, believe me, he accepts way too much garbage as the truth. And that's a problem you have with ufologists all over the place. They'll accept anything. Uh, they don't know what the word research means. You have a few good ones. You've got all kinds of just amateur speculators. Michael Hesman was a very, very talented amateur speculator who accepted anything he heard. And um, he went into a, Elijah's shrine, and there on the wall of Elijah's shrine is an image that is the spitting image of Ami Akrai's UFO. I mean, it, they, point by point, to, to my way of thinking, they were one and the same. They were the exact same image to my point of view. Now, later on, I took uh, the sighting screw into Elijah's shrine, and they said, nah, it could be a bat. Remember, these are 2,400-year-old pictograms. Uh, they went up when the shrine went up. I, in this case, except Michael Hesmond, uh, that was way too much of a coincidence that they, they drew this. Uh, call it a bat if you want to. It didn't look much like a bat to me. It looked like a profile of a disc. Nonetheless, it is 2,400 years old, and it is right above, literally above, uh, the Amiakrai burnt image in the sand. That's what I ended up calling it. And about 200 yards from the second one is the, in my opinion, a very, very close to spitting image of, of what was burnt on the sands of Chikmona Beach in 87 and 88. That's the summation of, of there's lots more, but that's, those are the main points of the Chikmona Beach. Um, well, again, uh, light from the sky shining on the beach creating a pictogram incident. Amazing. Um, they only get better. Good grief. Uh, you know, you, you asked why did it happen in Israel. I have my uh, thoughts on that. I mean, this is the, uh, the center of the... they were aiming for Lebanon and they missed. <clears throat> Listen, this is, the, this is the center of the uh, the world, okay, Jerusalem. This and was from... Haifa. Jerusalem well... barely got a UFO. Jerusalem had almost none. This was in Haifa. The next one is in a place called um, Kadima. Uh, and this is the long and complicated story of the Giants. 
the Giants is, well, a little background, I suppose. Um, there are Giants in the Bible. Um, in fact, right at the beginning of the Bible, there's a little war in heaven, and the God throws out the Nephilim. Nephilim means those that were that fell. That's that's what a Nephil is, someone who fell. And supposedly they found uh, the women, uh, human women, fair. There's nothing about the human women finding them fair. So we assume that they were raped. Uh, because the giants had their way with the human women who they found very fair. And you had, well, for the first years of the Bible, they were just a constant fixture. Uh, and, uh, well, you know, Joshua sent scouts in to Israel, and uh, they report, actually, I think the first time was Moses did it. They report back to Moses that uh, the giants have uh, made allies with with the cities of Canaan and and they were terrified by this and Moses sent them back 40 years in the desert because they weren't ready to uh, to fight for the land and all this. There are many, many stories of giants uh, in the Bible. Uh, the last one was um, King David in his usual murderous rampage sent his cousin... Uh, into battle, knowing he would lose for some reason. His name was Seth. And he, uh, he, he killed a giant with six fingers and six toes. And that's it, by the way, for the Bible. That's it. There is no more mention of, of giants from that last incident on. There has not been a, a recorded giant in Israel in 3,200 years. Since uh, the time of King David now, he, he goes out to kill Goliath. And what a lot of people don't know is Goliath had four or five brothers, didn't he? Goliath was no giant. He was about six foot six, and David had a, a sling, and he got him before he could shoot. And uh, again, that's again that was a very tall person for those days. The ones that visited Kadima were seven feet tall. They were a good half foot taller. And now, what about uh, King Og, that had a bed that was about fifteen foot long? Let's not rush every which way. We're not going to get anything done. Okay? We're, we're getting, <laughs> at the um, end, I'll, I'll talk about the uh, the circle of the giants, and I'll mention uh, oh. King Og of Bashan. But, again, this is history. I'll save my questions because uh, I have a number of them that uh, we're going to have for you. Uh, let, me get, let me get you back on target there. Take over, my friend. Yeah, now we go to Kadima. Now, Kadima is... Um, it was a moshav. Um, you know what? I'm gonna. Um, this is a very long story. I'm gonna go get some tea. Absolutely. My throat is gonna kill me by the end. Brother, of the if you can have some lemon and honey, I would recommend you mix that in. Uh, we're gonna take. Uh, we're gonna give you some time there. Uh, give me three minutes to clear my throat. This next story is going to take uh, even a half an hour to do properly. So Take all the time you, you need, my friend. This is live radio. and uh, Well, give me three minutes. And, uh, well, well, you know, I want you to feel relaxed like you're in my home telling a story. So, um, well, I am. I just need something in my throat. It's clogging up right now. Three minutes, I'll be back. Absolutely. You're listening to Omega Man Radio Network. We've got special guest tonight, Barry Chamish. We're talking about Return of the Giants. 
Barry Chamish is a prolific writer. Give a little bit of a background on him. He was with the uh, Israeli Defense Force IDF. When you go to uh, Israel, uh, you're required to do mandatory military duty. So Barry, like all other Israelis, he did his time in the service, came out and got into the writing profession, and is just a prolific writer. He has written all kinds of books. You can get up at Lulu, and we're going to put a link up there in the show notes, uh, or BarryChamish.com, C-H-A-M-I-S-H. .com. And uh, it's a pleasure to have Barry on because, uh, you know, he, um, he looks for the facts. And, you know, he'll, he'll keep you on to the facts, and it's nothing but the facts, man. <laughs> but uh, I certainly have uh, my questions. Uh, we're going to ask Barry tonight. I have my own thoughts. Well, you know, I want to appreciate everybody for tuning in tonight. I actually uh, hope that uh, you have tomorrow off. Uh, I'm really not against uh, holidays. Holidays are good, and uh, it's good to have some <clears throat> some downtime, be able to sleep in, not have to worry about getting up at uh, 5 a.m., and, uh, you know, be able to relax, fellowship, stay up late, go to Waffle House at midnight. Would you believe that I go to Waffle House like at 3 a.m. sometimes? Yeah, I get out of here, and uh, sometimes I have the late-night munchies. So I'll go up there and order a uh, chicken dinner. You know, that's the uh, two pieces of chicken breast with some hash browns smothered and covered. Uh, for those of you who don't know what a Waffle House is, what the heck is Omega Man talking about? It is a 24-hour diner. Okay, and they have uh, specialties like waffle. You can eat a waffle 24 hours a day. Of course, I go over there, I get the chicken, I get the smothered and covered, which is uh, onions with uh, cheese on the hash browns. Okay, you can get a side order of grits if you like it. Uh, those of you up in the north probably never heard of grits. It's great. Put a little bit of butter and salt in it. It's you know it's just just right. But yeah, I'll go over there have a cup of coffee and uh, you know sometimes get a late night snack. Now under understand why um, uh, Puff Daddy Combs, P Diddy, as uh, some of you call him, uh, Sean Combs. He said he lost all kinds of weight when he would stop eating, uh, leaving the studio late at night. And, uh, yeah, I can kind of understand, you know, you get ramped up and you don't, you don't really want to go to bed right away. So you'll go out and, you know, have some afterglow, as we used to call it, you know, after church, you know. And I kind of look at this as like going to church because I see all my friends every week and, uh, you know, every night, actually. And, uh, we have a great time and then, uh, you know, I just go out and, uh, go to Waffle House sometimes. <laughs> but I digress. Uh, we've got a double show planned for you tonight, by the way. We've got Barry Chamish on and then at 11 p.m. Eastern time tonight. I'm going to have Jason Homelon. And stand by. Let me get Barry back. All right, uh, a little bit of dead air, but the Omega Man is back. I was answering my cell phone. I don't put on any errors on this show. This is a live show. We're going to have some fun. That's the whole point. And uh, so, yeah, where, where was I? Where was I at? Um, let's see. I was talking about the Waffle House. Let me think. Oh yeah, double double show tonight. We're going to have Jason Hummel on tonight at 11 p.m. talking about God's economy. 
honest weights and measures, the way it, it should have been set up here in America. Not this fiat currency. You know, paper money, worth pennies, backed up with no silver and gold. And uh, he'll give you an insight into uh, God's economy and how you can get on it and be blessed in the process. Okay, stand by. I'm going to dial up Barry. Okay, the phone is dialing. Here we go. Barry is back. Hi. Hi. What kind of tea are you drinking tonight, my friend? No, I just poured any kind of liquid down me. This next uh, sequence um, is a very complicated, uh, but it's the name of my book. It's Return of the Giants, and this is why it's called Return of the Giants. Hello? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We are here, and if you're just tuning in, we're listening to Barry Chamish tonight. Uh, Yes, we are. Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, Uh, we're... We are back on with Barry Chamish. You're tuning into Omega Man Radio Network. This is a live broadcast. Barry, let me turn the mic back over to you. All righty. Now, first of all, before we get started, the name of my book is Return of the Giants. And here's how you get it. You go to lulu.com. That's L-U-L-U dot com. You'll see a, a search box. Write in my name, C-H-A-M-I-S-H. That will take you to all my books, or you can just write in Return of the Giants, and you'll get straight to that book. I also have a DVD um, with all kinds of these films and TV uh, sequences. and Well, here's my phone number, uh, 904 Three one five eight zero seven nine. That's nine zero four three one five eighty seventy nine. You got all that? Fantastic! And I'm gonna put that in the show notes tonight. Show notes tonight, folks. Uh, Barry, I didn't know you had a DVD. I'm gonna be ordering a copy. I love uh, video. Uh, just send me your address. So we're uh, so you actually stumbled onto this. You're in the Air Force, the IDF. And um, you'll well, see these. Stumble onto it in the Air Force, uh, most certainly. Uh, the Air Force was certainly a good training ground. I stumbled on it because, well, in part I'm interested in the subject, but uh, like I say, I was a niche writer, and this was a market nobody else was writing about, and I took it. Well, you mentioned before the break that uh, you know there are a few references to the. Giants, and uh, I have to tell you, it's compelling because I have no doubt in my mind that uh, the Earth was visited by fallen angels who uh, took wives, impregnated them, and created these half man, half angel offspring. And I heard it even got uh, more graphic than that, Barry. I heard that they were not uh, satisfied with that, and these angels started to mate even with animals. They became cannibalistic. Well, and, I, uh, this. I don't write about this at all. So we're we're going way off. And let's get back to modern times and, and not uh, quite possibly uh, miss. Well, I, I, I'm kind of setting you up. I mean, in other words, clearly they died out at the flood, but then there was a return. I so, uh, setting me up. Let me go on to Kadima. <laughs> go for it, my friend. All right. On April 20th, 1993, 
Tsipurik, Tsipurik, Carmel. Uh, Tsipura, actually. Doesn't matter. She's an attractive blonde woman who raises dogs and uh, has a tiny little um, uh, cottage in Kadima. She feels compelled to go outside. It's Saturday morning. She goes outside and she sees what she thinks is a new fruit silo. Um, and she says to herself, why would anyone put up a fruit silo overnight? Then she looks to her left. This is all happening instantaneously. She sees the fruit silo, says, what's it doing there? Looks to her left. She sees a seven-foot um, creature. Um, well, it's wearing, well, it's wearing metallic clothing, but it's got, um, she calls it a beekeeper's hat. Uh, the face was hidden by it. And she looks at it, and, you know, it's about 30 yards away. I, I went into the field where uh, a year later the, the circles made by both the, well, the craft and the creature was nothing grew on them. Nothing. Everywhere else was pl plenty of vegetation, tons of it. There are nothing. Anyway, she, she thinks, well, she calls it telepathically. I, I don't know if she shouted. She said telepathically. She said, take off the hat so I can see your face. And it says no. And she says, why not? And it answers her, uh, that's just the way it is. And then she has this thought or desire to go back into her house. And she does. Um, she goes back in. It's now about 7 in the morning. Uh, she, uh, 20 minutes later, she goes out again, and it's gone. Now, this was a question the first time around of rumor. She told a neighbor who told another neighbor. And, uh, the rumor was out when on April, uh, April 30th, she had the same thing happen again with the same, well, she had another circle in her backyard. Now, when I say backyard, Kadima is a moshav. It used to be a farming community, and there still are farm fields. It's become gentrified, if you want to call it that, lately. But nonetheless, she had a big, big field. And ten days later, another uh, circle, another sighting. But this time, if Israel had ufologists that were hidden uh, since the Shikmona Beach Incident. They all came out. To, she became a focus, and they. Well, we. Eventually, it was we, including me. I was there for these circles. Uh, inside the circle was were metal shards, uh, and this was in circle after circle, and there you put your hand in it, and it, it was red. There was some kind of red fluid in her second circle. The first circle wasn't properly uh, uh, tested. What tested? You pick out a metal shard and you find out what it is. What's it doing there? And your hand is red. When I first put my hand in a circle, uh, a fresh one from the night before, um, I didn't know what was on my hand. I mean, it could have been radioactive. I tried washing this stuff out, and it was Dickie. Wow. Yes. Well, again, little by little. Now, the first thing you have to know is that eventually I had my 
my silicon tested every which way, first of all, by the sightings team, um, uh, which came to the same conclusion as the Israel Geological Institute, uh, Pisa University, University of Manchester. I went wherever I went, and I, I had the opportunity. I had it tested. All the results are the same. This was almost pure silicon. I think it was 99.35% uh, with slight variances up to 54, down to 23. It doesn't matter. It was almost pure silicon. And in 93, by the way, that was an expensive material. It's gotten cheaper with the computer industry, but that's what was uh, strewn in the circle. As for the oil, the oil was, well, it was red oil. It had lots of iron and aluminum in it, but it had a big spike in cadmium, uh, which, again, uh, the folks at sightings were extremely confused about because cadmium is not primarily an oil form, but it's all been tested. And this this is the issue uh, that's going to become very important because whatever she poured it had happened in her backyard started happening all over the place. Whoa. Now, uh, one person who knew she poured it Maybe, maybe to wave at, at, uh, at the supermarket was Shoshia Hoot. The reason I say this is that seven women had these, that I know about, had these giant visitations and they didn't know each other. This is the only case where there was some recognition. Nonetheless, um, Hapamach Street, that's where Shosh and Siporet lived in Kadima. Shosh's story, in its own way, is just as bizarre. Uh, she's asleep. The husband remembers nothing. None of the husbands remember a thing. All the women, I want you to know, all... I interviewed five of the seven. All the women were 39 years old. All had white-collared jobs. They were so similar in background, um, age, exact same age. Well, let's just say there were a lot of strange uh, coincidences, um, my guess, and this is based, again, uh, on what the women told me. Now, Barry, uh, they're all about the same age, 39, uh, yeah. uh, same level, you know, same career? Uh, same level of career. Okay, Nine now. Travel agent, uh, same level of career. Okay, so they... They have this these uh, UFO intelligent women, uh, not brilliant but intelligent. Okay, now let me ask you a question. They, what they had in common was they have all this stuff on their yard. Did uh, you interview any of them and ask them? Did uh, did they uh, claim to have been visited at night and sexually abused? Interesting question. They told me I didn't ask them. Um, two of the women certainly had. Uh, peculiar stories. Now, I was going to do this at the end because you don't know who the women are yet. I'll just say that two of the women, their names are Hannah Somach and Batya Shimon, you'll meet them shortly. Uh, both had pregnancies uh, they could not account for. Oh, wow. And Hannah showed us uh, her medical reports from what is called Kupat Kholim. That is a... Um, 
look, Israel has a normal health insurance policy where people don't suffer because they get sick. America's got a, an extremely sick medical uh, uh, profession and insurance profession. She showed me from the clinic. It's called a... She just showed very, very good uh, and believable reports that she was pregnant and then the pregnancy disappeared and no really good explanations given for that. It's just reported. Wow, so she probably had the ultrasounds as proof, didn't she? Oh, not then she didn't. I mean, you're talking about she's 39. She was pregnant when she was 25. They didn't have ultrasounds then. It doesn't matter. They knew how to tell if you were pregnant. Yes. Uh, And uh, Batya Shumont, she phoned me from Los Angeles when she was already 39, and she said she's pregnant. What is going on? And she, she told me... Uh, it could not have been my husband. We haven't had relations. And two of the women definitely got pregnant under uh, unexplainable circumstances. So let me continue with the story. I assumed there was. I assumed that was very much part of what was going on. They weren't after men. They were after women of a certain age. Uh, let's go on. Shosh Yehud Kadima. Now, her story um, is, in a way, uh, very uh, prototypical of the rest of the stories because she was asleep in her bed, and the creature that she described is described over and over again. As a matter of fact, the sightings crew had everyone draw pictures, and they were remarkably similar pictures of a seven-foot giant, for lack of another word, uh, they're not human, but they're not far off, apparently. Bald, barely any nose, uh, eyebrows, um, floating, not walking, floating, she said. And they spoke through telepathy, and she understood them and vice versa. And what, they, what he said is what he said uh, uh, on other occasions. Uh, I'm not here to hurt you. Don't be afraid. And immediately, Shush saw him as a very, very nice person. With that message, uh, all fear left her, and uh, we heard that one uh, previously as well. What she said is he just floated around her bed uh, looking at her. And a very important issue, there was no way of getting into her house. She had um, blinds. Um, I don't know what you call them in English. In, in, he, in Israel, they're electric. They go up and down. They're electric blinds. They don't have Venetian blinds there. They have electric blinds. Her blinds were down. The creature could not have got into her room except through the wall. He probably just said, hey, I'm just here to cuddle. That's all. <laughs> yes, he said things like that. Uh, he asked her if she wanted a massage. Uh, the usual. And, well, she gets up in the morning. Now, listen, the business about how them, he had to have come through the wall. She said that. There was no other way of getting into the locked house. Now, this is very important because these uh, visions, these manifestations, they're not physical in the way we understand physics. We can't walk through walls. We don't know how to walk through walls. These creatures could walk through walls. 
And again, I provide no answer. I'm not a futuristic physicist, but that's what they did. They walked into her room through the outside wall. Now, in the morning, she felt that she had um, dreamt it all. Well, then she opens her blinds, and there is that same 4.5 meter in diameter circle that were found twice uh, at Cipolla uh, Carmel's home. She had one in her backyard, and she told, and in came the ufologists, and they had this time they had mag magnum monitors, whatever, whatever magnetism is registered on. They they had that this time around. They started getting more sophisticated, and the sightings continued, and they got more interesting. Uh, and needless to say, uh, whenever uh, an incident happened, by this time I was showing up and reporting on it. Uh, and Barry, there are people showing up to listen tonight. I can see them in the chat room and listening. This is a uh, subject that a lot of people are interested in. Well, well, I've got a book, and you're never going to see another book on the subject written. So if they're interested, um, all right, we'll do that later. Let's do uh, the Giants again. Now, Hannah Stomach is, um, again, she's a travel agent, 39, same age. All the visitations take place on a Friday night or Saturday morning, all of them. Which, by the way, that's a really hard coincidence uh, to to rationally explain. But Friday night, uh, she goes to her kitchen at 3 in the morning. It's Saturday morning, 3 a.m. She, her, she's got a poodle. The poodle lifts in the air. It's barking like crazy, all right? It drags her down to the kitchen because her poodle is barking. She turns on the light, and the poodle lifts in the air and smashes against the kitchen wall. And, and she's watching this, right? Imagine <laughs> this is what's a typical Saturday morning. The poodle goes flying full speed into the wall. She <laughs> felt there was that somebody, something did that to the poodle. So she tried to go outside, and the way she had a glass door. It was blocked. She couldn't get. She didn't see what blocked her. She said there was something that prevented her from going outside. She sees in her backyard the same thing that everybody: seven foot neon clothing, large eyes, bald, and it's looking at her family pickup truck. And again, I asked the same question: You come supposedly from tens of light years away to examine uh, a, a 69 Corolla truck. Or I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, it doesn't make sense. This is technology that would have no interest in, you would think, and certainly wouldn't come very far to see it. Nonetheless, she... Now, this is where the story, and it's always amusing, uh, but ultimately her family was haunted by these things. She says to the creature... She says to him, what did you do to my dog? That was her first concern. And the giant turned to her from the truck and said, go away, you're bothering me. They didn't give <laughs> profound messages. 
He said, if I wanted to, I could crush you like your aunt. Now, go back to your husband. And for reasons, again, just like all the other ones she didn't understand, she went back to her husband. Um, if fine details are off, um, we'll be excused later. Because the husband took, look, in her backyard shortly afterwards, they saw the circle, and her husband went chasing. Uh, this was not in Kadima. This was next door. It was about two miles away from Kadima where this took place. Her husband went in the search for the being that attacked the dog and his wife. It's a whole long story, a very human one. But just keep in mind, these uh, giants were not here to convey profound messages. They were very, very short with the people. They didn't want to be bothered. And basically, time after time, told them to get lost. It sounds like they were here to get their groove on. Their what? Their groove on. What's a groove on? I mean, they they were here to get busy. And uh, well, they uh, apparently like impregnated a couple of these women. Is that what I'm hearing? I never said that. I said that's my impression. These women... There are two very strange stories where I would think that the women only remember what they're allowed to remember, basically. They seem to be missing a little time, and these creatures may have had their way with them. Not them, but 25 years earlier, I'm sure of it. Well, you know, that's interesting because that is typically uh, what a lot of these people are saying all around the world, that they have missing time. So that's a common denominator there. I don't, you know what, I don't even... I can speculate, and I don't have answers for everything. But what she said, um, well, what can I tell you? This, all the women were honest women. And it, it, it goes on. I'll give you another story. This one from far away, uh, in far away. Rushan Lassion is, oh, about 60 miles down the coast. Now, Batya Shimon, again, she's a bank teller. And same thing. The women, are about of the same attractiveness, whatever that means, you still note it. Uh, she was an attractive woman, a bank teller. She's lying in her bed one night, and uh, she's got a couple of them roaming around the house. Once again, the husband vaguely recalls something. Only the wife remembers. Now, in her case, her case was not on a, a ground floor with a lawn. It, it wasn't um, a, a single dwelling complex. She lived in an apartment block. On the seventh floor, for them to get the apartment from on the seventh floor, they didn't drop by and take the elevator. Okay, they've got these, whatever they are, I don't believe they're physical in the way that we know physical. They've got to be trans-dimensional if they can just go right to the walls and walk through matter. Um, theory. We've got some questions in the chat room, and they're asking, the two ladies that reported that um, they were pregnant, uh, did they ever have the babies, or did it just no. disappear? Both, of, both disappeared after three months. Did they, did they uh, recount uh, maybe having a revisit? And some more loss no. of time where maybe it was harvested? No. Okay. No. Nothing like that. They recounted what they remembered. And what they remembered now in the case of Batya Simon, she's in, again, her husband is beside her. 
she sees two of them, they're floating, again, just like everyone else said, floating, not walking, floating. Same, the same, she calls it neon clothing instead of metallic. They all saw the same clothing. Again, bald, barely a mouth, barely nostrils. Uh, this is what they all saw. Now, of her first, I'm gonna say this now, first night, she had a two, two night whammo visit. The first night, one of them goes into the son's bedroom and he sees an aquarium. And he gets really, really excited by this aquarium. And he calls his buddy over, and they stare at the aquarium. That's what they did. They came, like I say, 40 light years away to stare at an aquarium, and they're gone. Next night, she's got a dozen of them all over her house. They're dusting every shelf with what she calls sulfuric-smelling um, smells like sulfur. That, ooh, ooh, that's a good detail. Keep going, my friend. Well, it's a detail. They dusted. They were roaming around everywhere. She was watching. What again? They looked very similar, but they all had the same metal clothing, bald head, floating. The whole thing that happened before happened, but this time with lots and lots of them roaming around her apartment. She was the one who phoned me from Los Angeles. Uh, she's been haunted by them. Look, I want you to understand that these women, there are another couple, forget them now. These are the big ones. The stories are the most interesting. These women, except for Tsiporet, who turned into an outright flake afterwards, uh, she was buying crystals and pyramids, and, and uh, she just, she thought it was a wonderful event in her life. All the other women and men will get to the man of next year soon. Let me insert a question there. Uh, when you well, were pulling I these... This, I haven't finished the statement yet. Barry, do you know what time it is? Nine. Brother, it is 9-11. Do you remember the time we did the show last time I told you, asked you what time it was? I have to document this because I keep seeing 9-11. Well, we may we may see the significance of that in a future time, and I'll bring you back because you're a witness to this. I don't know what it is. I just keep nine eleven. I have another forty five minutes. No, you got plenty of time, but I'm saying I keep seeing nine one one, September eleventh. So important about nine eleven. It may be that uh, it is a warning that we're getting ready to have another nine one one event. It may be that's just the time right now. But I keep seeing it. Why would with this? Why would I keep seeing it like every day? Sometimes twice a day. You remind me when it's 9.56 and we're on to something. <laughs> Keep going, my friend. We've got plenty of time. Uh, right. Now, again, Batya Simon. Um, boy, that threw me off. Okay, we were talking about uh, you're going to go to the bigger giant sightings, but I wanted to ask you, did you ask them what their religious beliefs were when you were what do you mean interviewing they were religious? them? They were Jewish. What else were they? Okay, but I'm saying... Um, were they? Did they have any thoughts on it? Did they think that they were having an angelic visit? None of them thought that. All of them, except for Tsiporet, who took it to heart, ruined the day that this happened to them. It ruined their lives. Wow. Um, look, I could go through all the film crews I took. Today, I really doubt any of them will talk. But I got them when they were uh, when they were they were ready to talk when.
when I got them filmed. And, um, well, they're all equally good. Batya told the story with, uh, well, sincerity. They're all sincere. They're all telling the truth. They didn't know each other. It's between April and July of the year 1993, seven women were visited by giants who didn't know each other. This could not be a conspiracy where seven women who didn't know each other, all of the same age, got together at a meeting and said, let's fool everybody, we'll make these tremendous discs in our backyard, we'll, we'll spill thousands of dollars of silicon in them, and we'll make oil out of cadmium, and we'll fool everybody. That's what you would be asking if this was in any way a contrived conspiracy. Uh, clearly it wasn't. Okay, it's that simple. Now, next year, the last of the official giant sightings, um, which doesn't mean that what happened afterwards uh, wasn't extremely weird till it ended in, in August 99, was pretty well when, when all was finalized with, with, with what this was. You know what, before I go on um, uh, to Herzl, Sabatini is his name. Uh, he lives in a moshav called Yassitz, which was only 10 miles from my house. Um, we, oh, let's just go. Look, okay, I'll mention this. If you're looking for a reason, and in my book, I, I was sort of forced to figure out what, it, what happened between April and July of 1993 that would bring giants back in serious numbers to Israel with the Israeli people getting them on TV, getting them in the papers. This was not a buried story. It was a front-page story. And i got to tell you that the worst evil that has hit modern Israel was being formulated in April of 1993, and it was finished and signed in July of 1993, and that was what is called the Oslo Peace Accord. Now, if, in fact, these giants, and they are in some way unphysical, just keep that in mind. These are not physical beings that, that we understand anyways. They're in some either supernatural, interdimensional, if you want to call that. We don't have answers for that. But their arrival, and this is where you could get fairly biblical. Uh, in the Bible, I mean, God hates the giants. Uh, he despises them. Uh, they're the very anathema uh, to 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 the morality he's trying to uh, instill in, in, in the Jewish people, and he orders every, from Joshua to David, all of them, wipe every trace of them off the face of the earth. Uh, he really considers them raw evil. Now, in 1993, the rawest evil, the evil that will probably put an end to Israel, was being formulated. And that was the Oslo Peace Accord. They met in January. By April, they had the formula. By July, they signed the formula. 
And this, boy, it's the greatest piece of evil ever foisted on uh, the Israeli people. It's beyond. Amen. Well, I don't know, but amen. But they have to live with this uh, horrific, horrific agreement. That's when the giants returned. Wow. I'm so not the, sure uh, if that's right. The agreement is is being signed, and then these these giants come back again on the scene. Well, no. Once it was signed, they were gone. Well, there's one incident uh, that I don't understand entirely, uh, and no one would understand it entirely. That is the incident at Yetzis on December twenty third, nineteen ninety. Four, the year after the Kadima uh, giant landings, from July on, there's nothing. There are rumors, but really nothing. The stuff I've got has, what can you say? We've got physical evidence. We've got labs that can't explain it. We've got, well, photo evidence. I won't do that yet. Uh, I mean, you've got this, uh, whatever was landing in Kadima on videotape. There's all kinds of stuff I'm not including that you have to get my book or at least my DVDs for. But what happened in its seats was, again, as big as Ami Akrai and Shikmona Beach. All right, the town sheriff, that's what you call the Mefiketa Bitakon in a town in Israel, the American equivalent of sheriff, means security officer. His name is Herzog Casantini. He is with his friend Ezra. The house shakes, and they don't know why. I mean, this is an out-of-the-way little moshav. They think it's a giant truck. Again, what for? It's And again, it's a Friday evening. I hate to repeat this. They're all on Friday evenings. Herzl opens the door to see what's going on, and standing in front of him is a nine-foot giant. Wow. You heard me, nine feet. Now, uh, he says his face uh, was filtered out by, he calls it metallic smoke. This story is, is just filled with things that you could possibly not believe, except the physical evidence is incredible. So he slams the door, tells his friend Ezra to to uh, to look through the blinds, uh, see what's out there. He looks out the window, and just like a Three Stooges movie, he faints. All right, just like a, <laughs> it was that awesome and scary to him. And I met the man. He was not talking. I met him the next day. I was at Yitzit, and he was not talking. Now, the next day, I want you to know, before I go on with the details, that Herzl Casentini was at the health clinic. That's the word I was looking for, the health clinic, because one of his gonads had blown up to the size of a, of a grapefruit. <laughs> they, there was, was this, no explanation for this. Was and, this before or after meeting the nine-foot-tall uh, alien? Obviously after. Good. <laughs> what do you mean before? <laughs> Before, they were playing cards. Lord have mercy. Look, whatever was done, this is another of these mysteries that uh, I don't have an answer for, but he brought the actual 
documents from the health clinic, it actually happened. But far more, far more relevant, whatever this creature was. And by the way, I have it on film. A couple of kids from the neighborhood filmed the UFO. I'll talk about that at this time shortly. This is a, a very, very strange case because that creature, that giant, left impossibly deep tracks in the mud for eight and a half kilometers uh, to the next Moshav, that was Kerem Shalom. Now, when the sightings team came, I jumped on top of the ground beside one of these tracks. I got in maybe a millimeter. The mud was too thick. You could, you could not look. I'll tell you what the tracks were. They were 35 centimeters at the sole and only five centimeters deep at the heel, which means this thing must have been walking on tiptoes. But at 35 centimeters straight down, it would have had to weigh a ton. Wow. That's the only way. You can't get in that deep. And that morning, by the way, I took my kid, uh, my young son, to just see the tracks. He put his foot in it. He was young, but he knew this wasn't normal. Nobody who saw those tracks <laughs> knew it was normal. Um, an associate of mine put plaster down one and made a plaster cast. That's also on my DVD, and out it comes. Whatever it was, was walking a normal human gait for part of the time. It sounds like he was wearing high heels or boots or something. It does, No, it doesn't matter what he was wearing. His weight pushed him down, not his shoe. But I thought he was kind of slanting forward to the like the ball of his foot. So that's how he was walking. The, the issue is not that. The issue is the weight. Now... There were times that he had a normal human gait. And then it would skip 12 feet until the tracks began again. And then suddenly there was a third uh, imprint, not as deep. It was round. And I assumed it was a walking stick. And by the way, I stick with that assumption to this day. Uh, that was some sort of walking stick. The point is it went for 8.5 kilometers and, well, now Herzl Sabatini, he closes the door. His friend uh, is half unconscious. And he phones, first of all, he phones the army. And he says, he describes what's happening. And they don't exactly believe him. All right? He says, look, a giant came to my door. And there are tracks outside my, my cottage. That doesn't sound so good. <laughs> and eventually he told them who he was and that he's the sheriff of Yitzit and the army finally decided it was some sort of terrorist attack and they arrived within 20 minutes a platoon of anti-terror soldiers were there they looked at the they followed the tracks and it went out over their radio and it went into the news by Sunday, all of Israel knew about the seats and 8.5 uh, uh, kilometers of, of tracks you couldn't explain. Now, the, the police, this was handed over to the police. 
it was no longer an army issue because there were no terrorists. Uh, so they had the police, a lot of the public, and by the way, there was an ice cream truck in the seats too. The public went where the news was, and this was front page news. I was about to say, somebody should have set up on the side of the road and made some money. They did. Now, all the police were left with, they went investigating. And by the way, it gets weirder and weirder. Uh, those two boys, one was 13, one was 11. Sachi and Sachi, it doesn't matter. There are so many people. I have their film as well. But they had a weirder incident. Their dog was barking. What I want to know, Barry, is can, is, it, is it permissible to eat a kosher hot dog in Israel? Why not? I love them. I go down to Five Guys and a Burger, but that's where they should have been selling instead of ice cream out there. They sold ice cream. Now, back we go. They're on the sofa, uh, on the porch outside. The dog is barking. It's uh, chained to its doghouse. A beam of light, and I was there. It burnt, it burnt its doghouse to the ground. There was no more doghouse. It was just ashes. Half the sofa was burnt. I took that stuff to be analyzed as well. Whatever sent that nine-foot giant roaming around your seats also burnt up a house, well, a porch of a house in your seats, not killing the dog, just scaring the, the bejesus of the dog, <laughs> just like what happened uh, to Connors. That dog was still uh, completely stunned when I saw it. Uh, out of fear, it was having post-traumatic stress disorder. It, it went through a, it went through a very difficult night. Now, the police are the public wants to know what caused all of this in the seats. It's not a few people. The police have a whole community uh, who want to know what happened and are they safe and so forth. Now, the first. The first, the police gave up, and they handed it over to an expert from the uh, Nature Preserve Nature Reserve Society. There's a society uh, that takes care of the outdoors in Israel, and they're supposedly the experts in the outdoors. The police handed it over to them to investigate. They had a press conference. They actually had reporters. And when the representative from the local nature reserves authority said that what caused those trucks was a camel, a camel. That's Come on. what they said. It was a camel. And, well. You don't have any camels in Israel, do you? There are tons of camels in Israel. Oh. And people said, uh, the reporters and the townspeople said, in that case, it would have had to have been a bipedal floating camel with a cane. <laughs> and and then, then they added antelope, if you can believe this. They said it was an antelope. In the end, the, in the end, the conclusion was, you know what, it could have been something from outer space. We don't know what this thing was. That, that was the final police. Now, that's what the Nature Reserve Society said. The police final report, okay, they're stuck with a, a crime that can't be uh, easily explained. They explained.
sounds like a ball. You get to dress as giants, scare the heck out of the town sheriff, make impossible tracks for eight and a half kilometers in the sand, and burn a doghouse down. This sounds like a terrific cult. Now, did they also smell the sulfur scent also in the air? There was no sulfur in the air. Sulfur has not... There was no sulfur. Nobody smells any sulfur. Now, that really, on December 23rd, 1994, that was the end of the Giants. Okay, that's the essential book on the Giants. Now, you know what? I should just... We are actually running out of time. If we're only going to do the Giants, there are a lot of other stories, an awful lot of very peculiar stories that went on for a while. But I'm going to just finish off uh, one story that seems to interest you. Um, and I did do it um, as part of the Giants book. In Israel, there is, on the Golan Heights, a a very mystifying uh, um, megalith, if you can call it that. It's like it is really the Stonehenge of Israel. Wow. It is, um, well, I'll describe, it's called Gilgal Rephaim, the Circle of the Giants. Um, It has been studied pretty seriously. It's 5,200 years old. That means that it's over 500 years older than the pyramids and over, well, it's over 200 years before uh, Stonehenge was even thought of. Well, maybe that would be, uh, you think that's from Genesis 6? No. It's 500 years. Uh, it's, no, now you've got to be lost again. Because Adam is about 6,000 years ago, right? No, no, forget that. Don't even okay. do that. It's got nothing to do with my, zero to do with what I do. Now, you've got five concentric circles. There are two openings in the concentric circles. Now, the astronomers have been there and they've decided that this is where Sirius rose uh, 5,200 years ago. And this is, uh, I think, on the solar, I think it was the solar solstice. The sun would go through this, all kinds of theories uh, around this. But you've got a major, major problem. First of all, it is absolutely enormous. It's 159 meters in diameter, made of loose stone. Heavy loose stone, some of it two tons. You've got a people living 5,200 years ago who would never, first of all, they didn't have the technology to figure out that you can pile loose stones to a height of about six, seven feet. I don't agree, because Genesis says that Tubal-Cain was a a bronze artificer. This has nothing to do with Genesis. But I'm talking about, uh, people think that as time goes on, we increase in technological know-how. Sheep herders of the Golan Heights didn't build another megalith. They didn't even build a house that remains. Now, let's go back to normality again. (laughs) Now, what you've got 5,200 years ago on the Golan Heights were not people capable of putting... 
They didn't have the society, let alone the technology, to put together some sort of, they think, astronomical. There are major questions about what it was. But surrounding the circle of the giants, now this is, um, um, well, if, if they're connected, they're called dolmens. And you, on the Golan Heights, there are 8,500 of them. Some are burial uh, chambers. Some are not. They don't know why the dolmens were put up. However, the Circle of the Giants has a tradition behind it, just an oral tradition for whatever that's worth. Now, the Golan Heights was in the land of Bashan. Now, Bashan, they know that Bashan was uh, populated by whatever were the Rephaim or the giants of the Bible. That's written down. When Og, who was their king, died, uh, they set up a little museum just to show his bed. His bedstead was 13 uh, feet in, uh, in length, uh, making him about, well, about 11 feet tall if, his, if the Bible actually did this accurately. The point of the matter is that it was in the land of Bashan that the giants, the Rephaim, lived in the region of about fifty two hundred years ago. All the way all the way to the um uh well, all the way to the wars with the Hebrews. Let me ask you a question. Uh, you said Rephaim uh, is that one and the same with Nephilim, or are these two different groups? They're two different things. The Nephilim, at least from the Bible, the Nephilim were those who were kicked out of heaven by God. They were the ones who were, uh, fell, who fell to the earth. They had relations with uh, mortal humans that produced yes. the Rephaim or the Anakim. Okay, so the Rephaim would be the um, the descendants. That yeah, yeah, they would be the descendants of this of this crossbreeding. Okay, let me ask you another question, Barry. Have you ever come across the term the Watchers? Uh, it, I don't know. It doesn't sound terribly familiar. I didn't know if maybe that was uh, was uh, a different category altogether, or maybe that that is the Rephaim. But at any rate, okay, that that was good. I I've heard the term Rephaim, but I didn't know the definition. Let's exactly. continue on. Giants. Wow. Look, there are three terms in the Bible for giants. They are uh, Rephaim and Anakim. Anakim is the more popular. Rephaim is not far behind and something called uh, Zamzumim. Zamzumim. Whatever, they're barely mentioned. And uh, it's a little, it's more obscure. But there were these what? cities um, where they where they dwell. Um, did you what, go what? to investigate any of those? Are you able to locate them in modern uh, maps? Of course not. There were no cities like that. What are you talking about? They made a line. If you can find a city on the Golan Heights, good luck. You'll you'll, you'll make archaeological history. Now, the reason I mention this is there is a tradition of giants in Israel. And there is 
an actual physical landmark. Now, if you ever get to the Golan Heights, it won't do you a lot of good unless you take a balloon or a helicopter above uh, the Gilgada uh, Rafaim because you won't really feel what a complicated and difficult megalith this was to build. From ground level, you cannot tell a thing. All you see are a bunch of walls. It can only be discerned from the air, and there were no mountains, and there was no sight except going up in the air in a balloon or something. Wow. Or something. That's the only way you could tell what Gilgal Rafaim really represents. Have they excavated underground to see if there's any, uh, yeah, anything there's beneath? Okay. Nothing. Nothing. There's a burial cane about a thousand years, uh, built a thousand years after the original Gilgal Rafaim. They found a few pots. Uh, nothing much of interest. It's, all I can say is there is a tradition that giants actually did uh, live in Israel, and they left a physical landmark of their arrival um, 5,200 years ago. Wow. And I didn't know that detail. I have no doubt in my mind that uh, that uh, giants are there because I believe the, the Bible. And it's clear that uh, David went after them. Moses and the children of Israel were told to drive them out of the land. They and, were not. Uh, they were told... They were told they exist, and Moses, far from driving them out of the land, took the Israelites back into the desert for 40 years. Well, yeah, because of their, uh, they were murmuring, complaining, and doubting unbelief. Well, you know, they were but, not told to drive them out of the land, that's for darn sure. Well, wait a minute. Now, uh, Caleb and Joshua, and they took the it spies in there. It was Joshua 40 years later when the, when the Hebrew wars began. Well, but my point was, is they go in and the, they spied out the land, and they came back with reports that they were kind of like grasshoppers in the sight of these giants, right? Yeah, that that's one of the uh, biblical passages. Again, you have to understand uh, that they weren't, the tone of the reports was very matter-of-fact in a way. Uh, they weren't surprised to see giants. They just accepted that there were giants. Uh, that's actually a better argument than you know, uh, that these things were not uncommon. And again, uh, shall we go back to Israel? Uh, how much time do I have? Uh, you've got, uh, you've got exactly, um, 50 minutes. I've extended your no, time. I don't. <laughs> well, you've got 20 minutes in the two hours, but you know, this is getting so interesting that I'd love to have you stay on if you can, uh, your voice will hold up. I'm not sure it will. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to end uh, with Well, then, then you've, got, uh, you've got 20 minutes left for our two-hour show. Okay, I think that's good because I'm not at my best right now. In okay. fact, I'm going to walk to the fridge. In fact, uh, why don't you take a, a break here for a minute, uh, recharge your drink. and uh, I can... um, I'll give you 20 more good minutes if <laughs> I can get the throat cleared. Go for uh, it. Give get... me three minutes. Refill your tea. Okay, my friend. Three minutes. All right. Bye. Okay, we're listening to uh, Barry Chamish tonight. Uh, he is a special guest tonight on Omega Man Radio. This is a live show, Labor Day weekend. And uh, I hope that uh, you're enjoying some fellowship this uh, weekend. I actually had my brother come into town, got to, got to see him, and uh, we went out and uh, did some fellowship. And, um, yeah, I, I love being able to uh, 
stay up late, not have to worry about uh, getting up at the crack of dawn. You know, not that I do, not with my schedule these days. I used to, but um, shoot, some days I don't get to bed till three or five a.m. Uh, at any rate, um, we've got Barry Chamish talking about the book tonight. Return of the Giants, and you can go to Barry's website, barrychamish.com. You can also go over to Lulu, and he has a number of his books, not just this one, but uh, he's got uh, several other great titles. And, you know, Barry's a prolific author, and he's got some uh, expertise to, you know, correctly document what's going on. And uh, he gained a lot of notoriety back when he covered the uh, assassination of Itzhak Rabin, that's definitely a book that you want to get. He was on the ground when um, America was uh, pushing Ariel Sharon buttons to drive out the people from Gaza, which was a sad story. And even Barry got a prophecy. Uh, maybe he hasn't fully realized, but uh, at the very time we were forcing Israel to withdraw from the land, uh, Katrina was pushing people out of their land. So I believe that's God's judgment. Every time we go and put pressure on Israel to give up their God-given right to the land, God pours out judgment on America. And so that should be a warning to America to back off and mind its own business. Uh, if you bless Israel, I will bless you, God says. If you curse Israel, I'll curse you. So Genesis 12.3 is still in effect, folks. And Israel is our brothers, and we should support them and protect them, not to cause them to divide their land and give it to the PLOs, which have no right to be there. So... Um, that's the Omega Man's uh, two cents here. Uh, and I certainly believe uh, what Barry's talking about. These people were visited. Uh, they did uh, have encounters with what they thought uh, were UFOs. I, I'll tell you what I believe they were. They were demonic spirits, probably the return of the fallen angels, because the, the word is clear, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and given a marriage and knew not till the flood came and took them all away. And clearly there were giants before the flood and after the flood. And I, I believe that God sent the flood because there was only eight that had not been genetically contaminated with this alien DNA blood. And uh, if these fallen angels had had their way, they would have had their way with every living being on the planet. And God couldn't allow that to happen. So he sends the flood, destroys them, but clearly they had to make a comeback. Some say a giant latched onto the outside of the... The Ark, I, I don't believe that. I believe that uh, they came back, and clearly some of these fallen angels are chained up right now uh, awaiting final judgment, but it didn't mean that there weren't others that decided to make the same stupid decision. And if they, they came back after the flood, what's to say that they're not making a, a return now? Because clearly people are seeing uh, these things are being visited at night. Uh, they have missing time. And uh, I believe that what you're what you've got are... Uh, demonic fallen angels that are coming back and mating. I, I, I haven't seen the proof of the offspring, but clearly uh, giants existed. Why couldn't they happen again? All right, I'm back. You know, uh, have you heard of an author named Steve Quayle, Barry? Yeah, I know Steve Quayle. You know, uh, Steve claims to have some giant bones in his collection. I wouldn't doubt it. Um, yeah, well, you know. let's, uh, if he's got them... Uh, there are a lot of people out there, uh, very uh, skilled uh, archaeologists and paleontologists. Take them out, have them examined. That's been my philosophy. And by the way, that's why this book, remember I told you, 
that I have to watch out for this book because uh, it's used against me, uh, but never have the facts been proven wrong. Never. This whole UFO wave, 87 to 99, is not unknown. I gathered the facts together, and no one else did that. But the incidents, there are many, many Israelis who know about these incidents. They were not, well, what can you say? I'm going to tell you a story to tell you how many knew about uh, the incidents. And this is the story of Beit Shan. This was um, November 91, I believe. Uh, that, you know what? I'm going to tell you how to get the book again. Uh, Absolutely. Give that information out along with uh, your phone number because you also have a video on this, correct? A DVD? Yeah, I've got a DVD. Um, it's, you know what? A lot of it's amateurish. You know, these are people holding their cameras outside. Uh, but uh, I think it's I think it's a pretty good DVD uh, with all its limitations. So if you first of all, if you want to get the book uh, Return of the Giants, you go to Lulu www.lulu.com. You'll see a, um, a search box right in my name, C H A M I S H. That's Chamish. Or write Return of the Giants. Uh, it'll take you to the book. My website is BarryChamish.com, and yeah, I've got a DVD. I also have a couple books I uh, I ordered from Lulu myself. Uh, that you know what? If you if you pay what I pay to Lulu, I'll send you a copy of the book as well. Now, Barry, do you also have this in ebook form, uh, or is it just hardback? No. Okay. No, hey, I want to ask you. Why aren't you on uh, Amazon? Phone, I gotta give the phone number first. Oh, absolutely, give that up, my friend. If you want the DVD, um, and again, um, the book, I'll have a couple. Uh, my name is, uh, my number is nine zero four three one five eight zero seven nine. That's nine zero four three one five eight zero seven nine. And shall we go on to Beit Shan, nineteen ninety one? Absolutely. All right. Now this really really settled the matter for an awful lot of Israelis. Now, it begins with uh, a, a guy taking a taxi home. I don't suppose I should add. Yossi Ben Maoz was his name. There, you've got it. Uh, but he becomes, he's the first one to witness outside the taxi some sort of craft following him. You hear banana-shaped a lot, but that's just a side view of, of a disc. It looks like a banana. It's not a, an actual banana shape. But he thinks there's some sort of terrorist attack, just like again at Chigmona Beach. It must be a terrorist attack or some somebody's in trouble. He tells the taxi driver to stop at the next uh, public phone. Remember, this is 93. Not everyone has a cell phone yet. And he phones the chief of police for Beit Sha'an, Yitzchak Mordechai. He tells him to look outside his house. Well, actually, he phoned the police station, and they looked out the station and saw this light. And then they phoned Chief Yitzchak Mordechai, who also saw that this was serious. He, at 3 in the morning, he calls, well, he calls an anti-terror alert. He calls the army. He calls the Air Force because it's flying. He calls the security chiefs 
of all the nearby kibbutzim, by the end of the night, now this goes on for three and a half hours, they are chasing this disc. Well, the chief of police of Beichan, who, by the way, was an extremely nice and honest guy, followed by the army, followed by the Air Force, followed by security personnel, close to 400 people, armed, very armed, are following this disc. Now, the whole story, I could, I could go through little details that went to the Jordanian border and then didn't cross over, which, by the way, in the end, Yitzhak Mordecai thought that was very, very strange. In the end, I figured it wasn't the craft that didn't cross over, it was the Israelis who didn't cross over. So it's, so it's, it stopped because the vehicles didn't follow it anymore. And nonetheless, at a little past six in the morning, in broad daylight, hovering in the sky, not that high, by the way, not that high, a matter of a few hundred meters straight up, below 400 armed fighters. One of them is asking Mordecai if he can shoot at it, and Mordecai says, what for? It didn't shoot at us. Leave it alone. And you had, well, front page news is the word for this. Yitzhak Mordecai became an overnight uh, celebrity, and all of the people that followed this disc talked to their friends and talked to the country. None of this, none of the stories I told tonight. I've got lots of stories that were kept out of public view, but these stories were, again, first item on the news, front page headlines known throughout Israel that the chief of police of Beichan led, well, a, a convoy isn't the word for this, led 400 armed soldiers and civilians chasing a UFO for three and a half hours uh, from Beichan to the Jordan River and ending up above Kibbutz Ba'oz Chaim where it drifted off at 10 past 6 in the morning. Wow. There, there's, there's that story. Uh, Barry, let me ask you a question. Um, I know you served with the IDF. Were you in Israel during the Six-Day War? No. I was 13 during the Six-Day War. What? <laughs> right. No. I, uh, I heard that there were reports that uh, during the Six-Day War, there was all types of uh, aircraft sighted in the skies, more than even the fighter jets uh, that were up at the time. Have you ever heard any stories of that? Oh, I've read all kinds of stories. And again, uh, the, the level of proof is so, so poor. I heard the same thing for the Yom Kippur War over the Golan. There was this and this. But again, uh, what I demand, uh, what I demand is not rumors. Uh, I have to have actual proof. I have to have corroborated te uh, testimony. I've got to have films, physical evidence, lab results. All of this is necessary to get a story as truly unbelievable to most people uh, to be believed by these same, same people. Let me ask, it's, it's not every day that I get a, um, an Israeli author on, and, and you, know, you have experience in the land, so this is why I ask these questions. Uh, I heard some reports that they have rediscovered the... Uh, um, the, the city of David and uh, maybe the tomb of uh, King David. Any uh, truth to that? Well, they've been digging in the city of David for the last 20 years. 
the Tomb of David, they, I've never heard of such a thing. What about, uh, I heard that uh, a chamber was found and they uh, discovered the, uh, the sword of Goliath that David took. Uh, any truth to that? We're entering into nonsense now. Uh, please. We're getting away from the way I do real news, and we're just uh, hitting rumor and gossip, and none of it's true. No. No. I'll tell you stuff that actually is provably true, if that's what you want. Oh, no, this is an interesting story, and, uh, and I believe these items exist over there. I mean, look, I was in, um, you probably know the region. I went to uh, Jerusalem in 2006, and then I was in Haifa in 2007, went out to the Sea of Galilee, went out to uh, Tiberias, but I was taken somewhere by my guide, and we went out to this area where on the surface you see a couple caves, and underground it was a huge chambers. And I guess they used to raise doves there and press oil. But um, my point in telling that story is you would not have known it from the ground surface. There's got to be all kinds of stuff waiting to be discovered underground. And that's why, I mean, I kind of have an interest in it. Undoubtedly, but until it is, uh, it's, it's... Look, how much time do I have left? You have, uh, you have exactly ten minutes. Look, when you talk about... Um, my poor children had such a strange childhood. I took them... We would get reports, and I would, you know, I had to get them out of the house, uh, and it was a good adventure. Um, a couple of times it was for nothing, but one time it wasn't. Um, the boy was probably seven, the girl six, and I got a, a phone report that there had been, well, cross circle is not the right description, because it was not a circle. But it was certainly in a corn crop. Uh, that part is absolutely true at a place called Beit Zarzir. That's up in the Jezreel Valley, and I was down in Beit Shemesh. And for me to go all that way, and on top of that, to pick up a couple of UFO, one a photographer and one a buddy I'd worked with, and go all the ways, but they said uh, that this one is a beaut. This wow. one you'll have to see. So I did it. It was, a, as usual, a Saturday afternoon. All of these events, I don't know why, took place on the Sabbath or on Jewish holidays. My book is filled with them. And they, they repeat over and over again, and that's another big, big unexplained, a, a giant unexplained. It always comes around the, 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 feast, the feast days, correct? And, or Sabbaths? No, uh, this was... This was in Passover, uh, 1998, I believe. Again, uh, let me ask you a question, uh, and you can answer this because you're a Jewish man. Um, living over here in, in America right now, if um, when does the actual Sabbath start, Barry? Is that sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night? Yeah. Or is it at a particular time? No. Irregardless where you live, okay. Sundown to sundown. Sundown to sundown, okay. All right, so we go up to Beit um, Zazir, and, well, we we got a little advanced information. This was not easy to find. We had to chop through a cornfield, and the corn was high. I mean, this was really healthy corn. It was taller than I was. Suddenly... There was this opening. I can't, all of us gasped. 
We couldn't believe that anyone, anything had done this to a cornfield. Now, what I did with the kids, I told them to look on the ground and show me anything that looks out of place. Bring it to me. We found nothing, but the kids were very good, very good hunters. In the meantime, we took measurements with uh, tape, and we measured, and we did, uh, well, we made a, a shape out of what we had seen, and by the end of the day, at least, it, it was totally photographed, and we knew the dimensions of whatever this was. Now, we were dead tired, and we had just been in something uh, that, again, you want to talk that tricksters did this, put it in the middle of nowhere, would likely it would never have been found again. So we pulled into a restaurant just to get our bearings, and we looked at the drawings, and we looked at the dimensions, and I saw what it was. At first, they at first they uh, believed it was uh, some sort of circle with a message, but then you look at the drawings and you look at the dimensions, and it was much wider. At, well, I'll just say the wings. So just just indentions there, no burn marks at all. No, it was world flat. Wow. It it, it was world clockwise. Um, no, there was nothing like that. Uh, something swirled. Eventually, I took the measurements. It was a disc-shaped uh, vehicle of some kind, some sort of disc-shaped vehicle. I said, take a look at the, t- the, the widest uh, um, dimension and then take a look at the length. And then we we saw that it was a craft that in its own way had burned itself uh, into the corn. And with, again, why, oh, why would anybody do this as a hoax? A thing like this would take, oh, I don't, it, there were no tracks. There was nothing that would even suggest a hoax. But that's what these crop circle people are saying. That's their defense. It's, we've got a couple of kids to come in with sleds and to knock down the the corn and to make this. That's the excuse being given. I assure you, no human being made this thing. Now, again, when you're talking about proof, we've got photos from every angle and direction. We've got my little kids who were there. We know for an actual fact this took place. Now, the well, I'm not... I don't have the time to go on. The difference between my book and speculative UFO stuff and people with giant bones in their backyard, which I give zero possibility for being the truth, the difference is, well, it's the difference between a junior detective and a police officer. Unless there are actual... Unless you can go to court and convince a jury that this happened, you don't have the right to write about it. I believe, you, I, I believe you saw it, uh, no doubt about it, and I believe that um, something was there and made the indention. Um, I wouldn't call it exactly an indention. The cord was eight feet tall. Whatever it was, again, was thoroughly witnessed. Return of the Fallen Angels, my friend. That's what it was. 
Well, that's, again, there's no proof of that whatsoever. Whatever, when we were there, we brought people from the kibbutz, and we took them to the site, and took their names down, and we corroborated testimony. We got testimony every which way. We took photos every which way. And, you know, my little kids had an experience that to, to this day they haven't forgotten. The point of the matter is, if it can't be proved in court, it's not in my book. I'll tell you how to get the book for the last time. Absolutely. Give out all your contact information, including how they can get the DVD. You go to www.lulu.com. You either write in my name, which is C-H-A-M-I-S-H, Chamish. That'll get you there all right in Return of the Giants. That should do the trick. My website is barrychamish.com. And I do have DVDs. And, again, email me with your address. I'll make you pay only what I had to pay uh, for the book. I should be getting it within a week. And phone me, 904-315-8079. That's 904-315-8079. And I'll send you the DVD. And pre-warning you, it'll be cheap. It won't be an expensive uh, expense of your life. Barry, um, what are you working on next? Any books in the in the hopper? No. No, I have to deal with what... I've got so many books out there now, and now I just have to uh, find out how to sell them better. Well, let me ask you a question. Why aren't you up on Amazon.com? Have you ever tried that? Yeah, they suck. Uh, I'm on Lulu because you don't have to pay a whole bunch of money uh, and have... I'm on Lulu.com. That's my Amazon. Okay. Lulu.com. But you've got nothing else on your heart right now that you want to write? I write every time something serious comes up. Look, what I'm writing has nothing to do with UFOs anymore. Uh, during that period, while well, the amount of publicity and even the money I made uh, was more than uh, all my political work uh, combined. Uh, the UFO material went out on international television, and I think sightings still exist on the Sci-Fi Channel or somewhere. This was very, very good journalism. That's why this book is very different. It offers almost no speculation, and if I speculate, I warn you ahead of time that I am speculating. All the rest was hard evidence. What I want to know is what happened to the guy that had his gonad blow up like a, a grapefruit? Did it, it go went back down? down? By the morning. Nothing happened. <laughs> he, he's still Poor the guy. of, of, uh, of Yatis. I went back there a couple of years later to film him. He's a, he's a good guy. Uh, what else happened to him? Uh, I was about ready to pass out an offering plate for him, take up a donation. Uh, poor guy. He was just trying to do his job. Guy, he lived a good life. What's so poor about him? <laughs> hey, let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Uh, have you ever been out to the uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah to investigate that out there in the Dead Sea? I've gone there, and it's not to investigate. Uh, there are digs. There's digs on the Jordanian side, uh, which 
they're getting, uh, they looked at the Jordanian side. They found a couple of six, uh, foot, uh, skeletons. They found seven of them. And wow. they, uh, they investigated if they were giants or not. They concluded they were tall. They were six feet tall when everyone else was about five, three, five, four. But that didn't make them giants. Did you see any sulfur balls out there littering the desert well, floor? You, they're all over the place. Uh, that Rabbi Marvin Antelman told me to go look. Uh, that everybody knows about that. I mean, everybody knows about them. They're on tourists. You know, there was this guy, uh, he was half hustler and, uh, half legitimate, who claimed to have discovered the sulfur balls, which I had been shown 30 years, was Wyatt. His name was and oh, uh, uh, Ron Wyatt? Ron Wyatt. Oh, wow, you knew the guy? I didn't know him. I saw him finding the sulfur balls and claiming that they were his discovery. They they had been known for many, many, many years before he arrived and found them. Hey, let me ask you a question. Speaking of Ron Wyatt, uh, him and his sons um, went over into Saudi Arabia. Yeah, get, yeah. Get arrested, of course, so. but... Uh, Mount Sinai. Uh, they went up a hill. This is where Moses got... Listen, there's a lot of baloney out there. This one is better than most. Jabal Al-Muz, uh, the Mount of God. This one is better than most. Now, look, you can... That's the whole problem with the scientific method and, and the amateur method. He's got an argument, but I've seen the same argument for a hill in the negative where they found the altars and they found... Well, but here's the main difference. Uh, the Saudi Arabian government actually put barbed wire fence around the mountain. Yeah, I know. And, I know. and there are Hebrew hieroglyphics in the caves. So where did that come from? Nobody, nobody wrote Hebrew at the time of Moses. What they had was an ancient script. If it was ancient script, uh, you know, you're dating 3,400 years ago, uh, then you would have something... Of, of great interest. Look, this is one of the better ones. All right? That's all I can say about this guy. As for the balls of sulfur, uh, Rabbi Marvin Antelman told me about them 20 years before uh, Ron White rediscovered them. The fact of the matter is I have a certain method. And he, by the way, that film he did, which I did watch, he lives up to the method 75% of the time, but then he goes off uh, with conclusions that aren't backed by the evidence, and it becomes a little iffy. But he's one of the better ones, all right? Did you see any uh, any ruins uh, that were that were petrified when God smote it with uh, no, I didn't see brimstone? Didn't see any petrified ruins. I did see balls. Yeah. Uh, all this stuff, I had a good rabbi friend who told me about it. This stuff, uh, uh, and that's a separate topic. Uh, he's alive, but he's he's got Alzheimer's now. That's Rabbi Antelman. He told me about about the balls, and uh, I went and I saw balls. You know, he was right there. They were. Have right you ever been down to the Gulf of Aqaba and looked for any of the chariot wheels, the Dead Sea crossing, or the crossing? It's not the Gulf of Aqaba. It's already all the way to Sharm el-Sheikh is where wide is complete. Don't be silly. But I'm going to put on my snorkel mask and, and, and go down 300 feet and uh, identify wheels. <laughs> Look, what I've done is enough. It's, it's good enough. It fits in the puzzle. 
Well, now, this is a great book, folks. I want to thank uh, Barry for coming on tonight. I would encourage you to go get the book, The Return of the Giants. Also, order the DVD. And, uh, Barry, give out your telephone number one more time, please. 904-315-8079. Send me your address, and in a week I'm going to have the book. It won't cost you a penny more than what I paid for it. Folks, order this book. Uh, get a hold of his other books. Uh, he's got some... Um, Awesome material out there. If you missed uh, the beginning of the show, it'll be available in MP3. Barry, always as a pleasure. Um, it, it was to have you on tonight, and uh, you're welcome on the microphone anytime, my friend. Okay, very nice show. We'll hear from you soon. Shalom, shalom. Bye, all. That was Barry Chamish, uh, Return of the Giants. That was a pretty cool show. I want to thank him for coming on tonight. And uh, go over and order his books. Get the DVD. We're going to put his contact information up in the show notes. Uh, this is a book you want to add into your library because, again, Barry uh, sticks to the facts. And uh, I believe he covered the, uh, the story very well. Folks, uh, he did, um, he did um, come across some true evidence. Uh, I believe that um, there is a return of the Nephilim again, even now. Um, and they will probably become more pronounced as, uh, you know, Satan knows his time is short. Clearly there is a time coming where uh, Satan is kicked out of all access to the, the third heaven. And uh, when that happens, um, you know, all hell is going to break loose down here, literally. Because uh, he's going to come down with great wrath. And uh, you're going to probably see all types of uh, demonic uh, appearances. But... Um, what Barry doesn't know that uh, we know as believers is you have authority over them in the name of Jesus Christ, Yeshua in Hebrew. And uh, if you encounter one of these at night, a spirit floating around your room, okay, <laughs> want to get its groove on, just bind it in Jesus' name and command it to go. Uh, because people are being attacked at night, uh, raped in their dreams, incubus and succubus, okay. These are demonic spirits. Yes, they can manifest in the human form. They could do it before. Why? Why not now? The bottom line is take authority over in the name of Jesus Christ. Bind these foul spirits. Command them to go in Jesus' name and start doing some spiritual warfare. Uh, all kidding aside, folks, uh, spiritual warfare is going to be essential to make it in the days ahead. And what do I mean by that? Okay, well, if you're a believer, uh, you're blood washed. Okay, so you say, I apply the blood of Jesus to me. Uh, apply the blood of Jesus to my family, my home. And um, take authority. Say, I bind all foul spirits that have been sent against me to attack me. I bind all witchcraft, uh, all astral projection. In the name of Jesus, I command it to go back to where it came from sevenfold. I break all hexes, vexes, curses, and spells sent against me. Command them to go back to where they came from in Jesus' name. I cut all demonic um, silver cords, all ley lines. I cut them in the name of Jesus. And I... I render all the assignments of the enemy against me, null and void, in Jesus' name. And do that every day. And if a witch or a warlock has decided to take you on and ask to project against you or send a de demonic spirit out to take you out, well, when you take authority over in Jesus' name, command it to go back to where it came from, that demon has to go back and carry out its orders, and it'll do it on that witch or warlock's head. Okay? And um, some of them don't survive that. But that's not your problem. You didn't ask for it. You know, uh, bottom line is uh, you have a right to protect yourself. 
Ask God to put a wall of fire around you, in accordance with Zechariah 2 and 5. There have been witches that have come against believers, hit that wall of fire, and they were barbecued. I kid you not. Dr. Holliday has a testimony of that. Ask God to loose his warrior angels down for your protection. Okay, it says, the angel of the Lord encampeth about the righteous. And I have to hang on to that every night. Because if Satan had his way, he'd try to kill me. I'm sure he has already tried to do that. Or you. Okay, uh, once you get into the deliverance, you become marked. And uh, Satan does not want the cover pulled off of his enterprise. Because when you uh, bring light into the darkness, the cockroaches run. And they don't want to be exposed. But I'm not afraid. Uh, and uh, that is the mission here at Omega Man Radio. We're going to expose the works of Satan, even in the church. And uh, we're going to uh, bring the light of Jesus Christ that will set the captives free. And so um, remember, uh, you don't need to have a spirit of fear. Uh, we have uh, been given the authority to tread on these serpents and scorpions. You've got to put on your full armor in Ephesians 6. Do it every day. You've got to get into the Word. You've got to ask God to show you any areas that uh, Satan could gain a gateway into your life. Uh, if you've come out of the occult, you probably have some occultic items in your possession. You need to get rid of those, throw them in the garbage, burn them, get rid of all occultic books, amulets. I don't care how much they cost. They probably cost a lot of money. Destroy them because they give Satan a legal right to come in and attack you. And remember, Satan is a legal expert. He will use any opportunity he can to gain a foothold and to attack you. Okay, so uh, bottom line is uh, you don't want to give him any any ability to do that. Now, does that mean even if you cleaned your house and you know, you're not in the open sin that you're not going to be attacked? Well, no, we're still going to come under attack, but uh, you don't have to sit there and be beat up. So you've got to do spiritual warfare every night. Uh, do not be a victim. And uh, the word will go back that uh, <laughs> they better think twice about bothering with you because uh, you, you're going to put what they sent to you back on their head. And uh, it only takes one time in some cases, and they'll never come back and bother you again. So uh, something to think about tonight. At any rate, I appreciate you tuning in tonight, uh, spending some of your Labor Day weekend with me. I hope that you have a great weekend. Uh, get some rest. Recharge your batteries. And uh, for those of you that uh, are going to be around later and would like to come back around, we're going to have special guest Jason Hommel on in about 45 minutes talking about God's economy, okay, about how God intended the, the money system to be set up, the honest weights and measures. And Jason is trying to reestablish that. Uh, he is a metals broker, an uh, expert on investments. God has blessed him as he's applied some of these uh, principles to his own life. And uh, I'm always interested in talking to people who have, uh, who have gained some wisdom, who have seen the blessings of God on their life as a result of getting back to the biblical principles. And uh, it's going to be a good show, Jason Hommel. And then, coming up this week, I've got Stan Johnson of the Prophecy Club talking about 30 prophecies uh, concerning Israel and the discovery of oil. It's going to be an interesting show on Monday. Tuesday night, we're going to have all the way from Guatemala, Norman Parrish. He is in his late 70s and uh, one of the original Deliverance pioneers that are still alive. Him and uh, Dr. Pat Holliday, they've been around uh, doing Deliverance spiritual warfare for a long time. Praise God that they're still around, that we can learn from them. 
But he's going to be calling in, and uh, we're going to have a Q&A on deliverance and a mass deliverance uh, on the air. That's my plan. Uh, God's will be done. That'll be Tuesday night. Uh, Wednesday night, I'm going to have Prophet Nathan Leal coming on, talking about what is coming and how to prepare yourself so you don't faint in the times that are coming that are going to hit us all. Uh, how God wants some needles out there, wants to sharpen them, and then when the time comes, he'll hide you in the haystack. going to be an interesting story, uh, interesting hour, two hours, and he's going to be sharing a, a recent uh, dream that God gave him that uh, woke him up that he was so um, devastated by the vision of what he saw that is coming that he was literally shaking. And folks... Um, what is coming is going to cause some men's hearts to fail them for fear. That's why we've got to get prepared to endure till the end. Okay, there's going to be some tough times before we get out of here. Um, and if you understand that going in, when it happens, you're not going to be caught off guard. And then get angry and blame God and say, well, God, you lied to me. You, I thought we were going to get out of here You know, uh, on the first train out. Folks, we don't get out of here to the last trumpet. Um, when that is, let you draw your own conclusions. We'll get out of here sooner. Praise God. My point, though, is let's get ready to endure till the end. And uh, knowing that, uh, let's get prepared physically, spiritually, mentally, and uh, let's learn all we can so we can survive and help some of these others out there that uh, are going to fall at the wayside and help pluck them out of the fire. Okay, now that is Wednesday night. Thursday night, I'm going to have Pastor Dennis Williams coming on. Q&A on deliverance with a mass deliverance over the year. It's going to be an awesome night, and we've got many more. Uh, as God opens the door, I will do more and more programs. Uh, we're going to have uh, launch a series called Raw of uh, Joseph White, a.k.a. Zoe Mortal, a uh, project we've been working on for some live, live uh, prayer like we did the other night. We had six people, and you can uh, call in if you need prayer, you know, we're going to get it up to eventually where there's 50 people, prayer warriors, on the line ready to pray for you. And when the prayer of agreement comes about, uh, miracles happen. Um, so praise God. Uh, we've got a lot of exciting things happening. If you love this show, uh, if it has blessed you, then throw me a bone. What I mean by that, send an email out to all your friends. Tell them to tune in. We need to get the word out about Omega Man Radio. All I have right now is uh, the ability to, to promote it through Facebook. I've got a small circle of friends, so I need your help to do it. Uh, just send the link, show link, omegamanradio.com, to everybody in your email box. Tell them to tune in, and I guarantee you they will find something they like and will gain some new audience. Uh, if there's somebody you'd like to have brought on the show, drop me a line. If you have been blessed, if you have a testimony you'd like to share, um, Right in, and um, I'd love to hear from you. Oh, and last but not least, we're going to have Rando the Mando on, good friend. Uh, Rando also has a channel up here on Blog Talk Radio. It's called R-A-N-D-O, Rando. Tune in. He's a good brother. He's going to be having some good guests. He's a friend of the Omega Man, and uh, Rando will be on this week as well. I'm going to give you the uh, the date we just scheduled that today. Uh, Randall will be on this week, and the time is going to be 8 p.m. September 8th. That'll be Wednesday. Okay, that'll be the first show. 
And then I'll have uh, Nathan Leal in at 11 o'clock. So tune into that. It's going to be a great show. We're going to open up the lines, and uh, Randall and I are going to take your calls. We're going to pray for people who have any prayer requests. point is, folks, uh, I want to hear from you. And uh, if God has done something in your life, if you've been blessed, if you've been delivered, if you've been healed through one of the shows that has been uh, aired on Omega Man Radio, write me. Send me your testimonial. And if you want to keep your name confidential, just use your initials and maybe your city. And that's what we'll do. I want to build a testimonials page. It encourages people out there. Um, we all need to hear reports and see the fruit. It gives us uh, the energy to keep on going. And uh, if God has blessed you and you would like to uh, support the Omega Man Radio, uh, any donation is appreciated. And what we do is I don't take a dime from it. We just put it uh, aside uh towards the purchase of some airtime, we would like to get up on WWC or shortwave, uh, skip a hamburger and uh, send $5 in, and uh, you can plant some seed, and you will reap in the harvest. One person plants seed, another waters. They both share in the harvest. Uh, we've also got a um, humanitarian organization we're going to launch, and we're going to start uh, feeding 50 kids a week in Vizag, India. Some of the untouchables, these are the people that nobody cares for over there. They're street children, little kids, orphans. They're the elderly, the widows. And they come out, and we have a pastor, a good friend of mine, Dr. Joshua Boosie, which will get them out on a Sunday afternoon uh, in a park. He'll bring them together, and uh, he'll feed them, and then he'll teach them the Word of God and sing, lead them in prayer, and he'll, we'll get photos, and we'll send them to you. Um, as proof of the, the people that were fed. What we do is it basically takes $200, and we can feed 50 to 100 kids. And what we do is we uh, we have one of the local hotels cater the food in, and they bring out these big, big um, uh, stainless steel pots of curry. And they'll have curry vegetables with some meat, rice. Uh, usually do we boiled eggs and uh, something to drink. And these are kids that maybe haven't eaten in days, folks. And... Um, you know, you bless the poor, it's a, and you feed the poor and lend to the poor. God, the word says you have lent to God, and, and God will repay. That's the best investment you can make in these last days, folks. And IRA is not going to save you in what's coming. But uh, if you will feed the poor, the widows, the orphans, remember Israel, uh, God will remember you when you need it. And believe me, um, that's all that has saved me um, many times. So uh, it will be an honor and a pleasure to have you uh, join with us. We really need about 20 people to give $10. That would be the $200 we need. I send the money to him. Uh, they go out and literally and feed the, the following weekend. So uh, it's just uh, something that, uh, you know, you know that uh, what you're giving to is getting to the end user. You don't know that a lot of time, folks, when you send money to the televangelist. In fact, many of them will never even open up their books. And what's that tell you? There's something to hide there, folks, Okay. Most of the money is sent on, spent on commercial media time. I know because I used to be in that business. Um, we used to sell time to some of these uh, televangelists, and it's a shame. But, uh, you know, support a ministry where you know every dollar is going to go right to the mission fields. Anyway, that's my, uh, that's my pill this week. Um, you can write me, Shannon, at OmegaManRadio.com. We've got a new website going up this week. We're hoping to uh, bring you video streams. And um, I want to praise God for the door he's opened. I want to praise God for you, and I want to pray for you right now. Father God, in the name of Yahshua, Jesus Christ, I want to thank 
thank you for this time of fellowship tonight and for the, the people out there listening. I ask God for a blessing on them. I ask for a hedge of protection around them. In Jesus' name, I ask God that you can loose your angels out right now to stand guard over the believers out there right now for their protection to encamp around the righteous. I break all hexes, vexes, curses, and spells. So against any of the believers out there listening right now live or on the MP3, command those to go back to where they came from in Jesus' name. I bind up all evil spirits that have been sent against the believers. Any witchcraft attacks, we bind you in Jesus' name and command you to go back to where you came from sevenfold. Apply the blood of Jesus to the listeners out there, and I'm asking God that you unloose your healing power on anybody that has infirmity. Right now, I bind a strong man and anyone listening out there. I bind all spirits of infirmity and all evil spirits, and I command you to come out now in Jesus Christ's name and go to Jesus to be judged before your time. And I loose the spirits of wisdom and knowledge in accordance with Ephesians 1.17 into you right now. I ask God that you fill them with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. And I thank you, God, for this program. And I ask that you would keep everybody safely through the weekend. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you very much, uh, folks. I'm going to take a break, refill my coffee, and uh, I'll be back on at uh, 11. And if I don't see you again, God bless you, and we'll see you uh, next show. Hear the word of God Almighty from Numbers, chapter 33, verse 50. And Yahweh spake unto Moses in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye are passed over Jordan into the land of Canaan, then ye shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you, and destroy all their pictures, and destroy all their molten images, and quite pluck down all their high places. And ye shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land, and dwell therein, for I have given you the land to possess it. Declaring all-out war on all witches, warlocks, and the hosts of hell. Our mandate is clear. We will not fail. Join with us in the fight and spread the word about Omega Man Radio. Our mission is to invade enemy territory and possess the land, healing the sick, and setting the captives free of demons. In Jesus' name. Tune in each night at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific at OmegaManRadio.com. Thank you for listening to Omega Man Radio. Our mission is to operate in the threefold ministry of Jesus Christ and take evangelism, deliverance from demons, and miracle healing to the world. If you would like to partner with us, you can support this work by donating any amount online at OmegaManRadio.com. Join us in an all-out attack against the hosts of hell. It's time to deliver a death blow to the enemy and take back territory for Jesus. Tell a friend and support Omega Man Radio.